Hey, and welcome to Deeper Than Data, the podcast where we get to know the scientists deeper than their science to find out that they love graham crackers with peanut butter and they don't always use their degrees. Or that they burn their mouths on hot beverages because they just smell so good. Maybe the last one's just me, your host, Ben Rush. And we are back with another episode with a spontaneously delightful person, Amy Zielinski. So without further ado, let's get to it. First, I'm just going to uh, ask you a few questions. Yeah, you bet I screwed up on the first question I was going to ask in this interview. And it won't be the last goofy mistake I make. Could you give me your name and your pronouns? Yes, my name is Amy Zelensky, and I use she, her, and hers. Great, thanks. Uh, Next, could you give us a little physical description of yourself? Oh, uh, I have long hair that's much longer now because I can't get a haircut because of a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) It is uh, like strawberry blonde, I think they call it. Uh, I'm tall for a girl. This is what I've been told. So 5'10", I think. Um, Green eyes. I think that, I don't know. You have glasses? I have glasses. Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, we know each other from the improv class, Improv for Scientists, which was great. Uh, You do other things on campus. Would you mind sharing your positions and roles? Yes. So I am an associate program director in the residency program in internal medicine. So I mentor residents and I also direct our teach pathway for uh, residents who are interested in learning more about education. I am a teaching academy affiliate on campus and then I'm also an affiliate of the Division of Arts through my work with using improv to teach communication. Cool. And just like off the bat, how long have you been doing improv? Improv, applied improv? You mean, yes. or improv in general? Oh, mm, let's do applied at UW, and I'm sure okay. we'll get into your background. Sounds good. I think I started the Improv for Scientists class in 2014 or 15. So that, how many years is that? Five? Five? <laughs> <laughs> Five or six-ish? Yeah. Five or six-ish, yeah. Great. Um, great. Well, I'm so happy that you're here. Um, all right, I'm going to go into some icebreaker questions, which I think I'm going to actually change in the future to little goofy cues. I think that's great. Um, so, okay. okay, confirmed. Amy does not like little goofy cues. My first one to you is if you could be any mythical creature, what would you be? A sphinx. Sphinx. Why would you want to be a sphinx? <laughs> That's just the first thing that came to mind. 
a sphinx because I think if I remember right, it's like a lion body, but kind of humanoid with wings. Does it have wings? I don't remember. In my mind, it does. It does. I mean, <laughs> it's made up. <laughs> you can have whatever you want. Um, a flying sphinx. Yes. I was thinking about this earlier and I, my heart landed on Minotaur, but then I was thinking, you know, I think I would rather have the human head part, you know, have like full complete thoughts and not just like a bowl. I mean, you know, maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm blaming cows for not being as intelligent as humans, but I think it would still be nice to be able to go around thinking as a human versus a yeah. bull. Versus a bull, but definitely a minotaur, not a centaur. That's that was my other thing. I was like, could yeah. I just reverse it and be a centaur? I don't know. Minotaurs look pretty cool, though. I feel like having cool. the horns, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. Um, while you've been at UW, did you conduct any research slash, uh, what was your research when you were working on uh, your PhD? So, uh, yes, both. <laughs> so yes, both. My, my research, so I've kind of as I was getting my graduate degree, I was also working in medical education. So I used my position um, in the Department of Medicine to have uh, to house my dissertation project. So I looked at using a half day workshop with physicians mostly and other healthcare providers to see if we could change their empathy on different um, validated measures of empathy. And I've continued to do similar work. I actually studied the outcomes of my interprofessional improv course with a, I got a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts to study that impact on empathy as well in trainees. That is super cool. And I also feel, I mean, you and I have talked about it, but so needed as well. So needed. And so I needed. didn't, I didn't tell you, but uh, that was supposed to be restricted to two minutes and you nailed it. And now we will divulge, or sorry, divert from any research topics and just go into some more uh, good questions. Uh, I think this is going to be a standard. I really like this question. Not, round two of Little Goofy Cues. Uh, okay, confirmed. Amy does not like Little Goofy Cues. Uh, who was your first crush? Oh my goodness. Mark Martino. <laughs> Mark Martino in elementary school. He was short and chubby <laughs> with dark, dark black hair. He was adorable. Sounds great. Was he was he nice to you? Were you nice to one another? Um, I was very mean to him. <laughs> <I was. laughs> He was very sweet, and I, I, I sometimes I wonder about these stereotypes of like boys and girls. Because I, if I liked a boy, I would like push him down on the playground. It just is like sort of what they say boys do. So I don't know why, but yeah, yeah I, I don't know if I bullied him. I hope I didn't, but I definitely wasn't very nice to him. I. It makes me think like just young kids, you know, they only have so much of a capacity to think and they hit this limit with liking people and just something else takes over and they don't know how to deal with it. And so they so just in addition yeah. to pushing yeah. down your crushes, uh, what else were you like as a kid? 
I was, I guess this is kind of not surprising after that statement, but I was kind of like what they would call a tomboy. So mm-hmm. I like hung out with my older brother. We watched wrestling together. We played basketball. I played in the mud a lot. Loved playing in the mud. Um, and I liked, I was, I don't know. I guess I also liked to read once I could read. <laughs> and <laughs> I liked school most of the time. Did you have a favorite subject? Back then, probably reading or any sort of literature class. Yeah. Did you have a moment uh, in your elementary school days where you felt connected to science? Or do you think that was something that came on later on? You know, it's funny. because I was kind of thinking about this before we started talking. I was always, I always had kind of an aptitude for science and math, but back then I just didn't like it. And I don't know if that's because as a girl, you're not supposed to, or I don't know, Mm. but I just didn't really enjoy science or math. Um, Even though I was always in sort of the accelerated classes, like moving up into middle school and high school. Yeah. I could do it, but I didn't really like it. Yeah. I feel like there's, a distinction to with the classes that you get in elementary school um, and the rally and kind of like the applied science. Like I was talking to some friends recently about playing in the mud. You can turn a number of rocks to see bugs. Yep. Uh, it sounds like you did that too. That was like one of my favorite pastimes. And I've asked people within this year if they want to go turn over rocks with me. Um, and I just feel like it's not the exact same thing. Thing that happens in grade school science classes. Yeah. Now that you're, you're mentioning like you were into all these like readings and more like maybe English style classes, did that keep going into middle school and high school more? Yes. Definitely. Yes. So I, <laughs> that's just one word answers. That's what you're looking for, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, so I think it's just sort of this other part of me, which is this actor part of me that was just really excited about taking on a different role, a different person, understanding what that person might be like. Um, so I think that's why I was it mostly, especially once we started to do Shakespeare, because that kind of brought together because it's such an analytic process when you do Shakespeare that it that sort of scientific mind to literature was just like the perfect combination mm. for me. That was maybe late middle school, early high school? Yeah, probably late middle school. I remember watching Romeo and Juliet like but they it's like the old <laughs> version where they had to like cut out the sex scene and I think it was like yeah, middle school. It's very embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when you were like, act, were you acting in the plays or were you uh, doing something else? Like when you're helping out with a lot of theater? So I was always acting, um, since I was like 12 years old. Hmm. Mostly through schools or like through other organizations as well? A little bit of both. Yeah. But mostly through schools. And then in Oklahoma city, I lived in Oklahoma city for a while. There was this organization called kids on call it was no kids on call that is not for sure definitely not what it was called but it was something like that 
Yeah. It wasn't connected to any hospital. (laughs) I mean, all hands on deck, people. It's a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was so, you know, it was like this. There were rumors that if you like went to this Candid Kids, there were a couple people who'd gone there and then onto the Disney Channel. So I did some acting through them. Yeah. Yeah. And as like a middle schooler, early high schooler, were you wanting that? Were you wanting to become famous or an actor at all, big time? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was my ambition. What you, has changed, What obviously. about it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What about it? I guess probably the fact that I liked to act and then money, you know? Like, I wanted to make lots of money. It seemed like a good gig. True. <laughs> True. You can definitely make a lot of money. So I've heard from the Disney Channel. Yeah. Did you have, uh, I'm imagining some sort of shenanigans in the theater realm. Does that mm. bring up any stories in your mind? No. Sadly, I want it to. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> Because that sounds so fun. But no, I was sort of serious, as I think, you know, as a serious actor. And yeah. Time for shenanigans. Shenanigans <laughs> on or off the theater. Um, you've mentioned to me as well that you t- seem or tend at least to be more introverted um, as an adult. Was that true in middle school, high school? Uh, but yeah. if you could, I don't know if you'd want to say like change it or switch it off, but uh, your your time to still kind of shine came through theater. Yeah. But as a social act, you know, as, I wasn't a very social person. I yeah. sort of was a lone wolf a lot of the time. I also moved around a lot at that time. So I was often the new kid and, you know which was horrifying just because all of a sudden you're like lunch was the worst. Cause then you had to figure out where you were going to sit mm. and eat. And so had to figure out how to kind of not worry about fitting in as much as maybe I would normally, if I had grown up in one place for years and years. Yeah. And were you hopping around because you had parents in the military? Am I remembering that correctly? Isn't that, it's always where people go, but Actually, my mom was a radio disc jockey. Whoa, okay. Yeah. She was a, well, she was an, what would she call herself? (laughs) An on-air personality. She would do like morning shows where she would be like, you know, read the news and banter with her her co-host. And it was very volatile, especially for women in that field. Um, So she would get fired and get hired in another town. And so we would pack up and move. Huh. Did you, do you think any of that, like seeing your mom do that connected or like inspired you to do some acting or your science? Probably. Yeah. I don't know exactly how, (laughs) but, but I think, and I think just, you know, again, sort of being a woman in the field, in any field, sometimes it's people don't they underestimate you 
mm-hmm. and seeing her be underestimated and time and time again fight against that and really find success in her chosen field even though it was sometimes very toxic for her as a woman that was very inspiring yeah i mean that is amazing um yeah i i definitely i feel like i have every single possible privilege that you possibly can have uh so i definitely admire that um shifting to a little bit later in your life uh, late high school early college did you continue uh acting through throughout college or joining other groups yeah I did. So I went to school in Seattle, University of Washington, and I was a double major in drama and psychology. So in drama, I continued to, you know, we had set, we had access to rehearsal space and other actors, and we had a great time really producing our own shows, writing our own stuff. Um, and then that's when I really started to realize that it, through psychology that science didn't always have to look like you know, dissecting a worm like we did in seventh yeah, grade, yeah. But, which maybe didn't like turn me on so much, but like through psychology, oh, this this is another way to study and to use a scientific method, but with people. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So back then and perhaps even now, do you love watching people? Yes. They are fascinating and they don't make any sense most of the time. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Have you have you thought like while you're teaching these improv classes, like I know everyone's making this up and it's like this complete abstract out there thought, but it also makes just as much sense as people trying to go about their normal days. Yes. I have often thought that. I remember people say like I'm terrified. I I I can't improvise. Like I'm I'm like thinking like what do you do every day when you have a conversation with somebody? Like you are improvising. Like you're no you don't have a script that you're using. But yeah, yeah. There's somehow this uh, I don't know magical thing about an audience or a recording that turns on the fear. Like I I've done this when I've tried to do recordings of stand-ups or, you know, some like podcasts, there's just something about it, which I'd imagine theater helped a lot to kind of maybe not get rid of it, but just turn that fear anticipation down. Yeah. There's a lot when you're studying to be an actor about opening yourself to the audience. So as an actor, you're often sort of portraying private moments like, you know, an argument with your spouse or whatever, but you're doing that in front of an audience. So you have to always be considering how you're, how you're open, how you're vulnerable to the audience at the same time that you're having this private moment. And I think just practicing that and flexing that muscle helps definitely. Yeah. Were there things that were either tips like that or other check-ins with yourself for like the quality of acting that you would have pretty regularly as you were acting? Yeah, like in the moment of doing a scene or whatever it is, like stuff that yeah. goes on. I feel like you're having multiple conversations with yourself as you're performing <laughs> something that's like really emotional. It's so true. And some of it's very technical, right? It's like, am I standing where I'm supposed to be standing? Am I like blocking the person I'm 
speaking to so that nobody else can see that person? <laughs> Am I, do I have like the next, you know, I know I'm going to reach for this prop. Is it where it's supposed to be? Yeah. It's like this constant checking while you're in this moment and listening to your partner or whoever's talking. Yeah. There's a lot. It sounds pretty fun though. Sometimes I think like, man, I should have really gotten into theater. And uh, in, in high school, I had zero interest. It's not like yeah. I was against um, the theater kids at all, or you know, there wasn't any sort of riff. But I was like, just theater was not it. Here you are in science. Here I am transitioning more into like the performance <laughs> right. and comedic stuff. Um, yeah, of course. Um, so in in college, were you more involved with theater, or did you start to get your first uh, look into improv around then? Still more theater, like straight theater. But part of my like senior classes, sort of like, you know, advanced level acting classes, we created a one person show. And so we each had our own show that we produced. And to get to that point, the teacher that I worked with used improv. So kind of similar to how Second City works, where they they'll improv, they improvise, and then they have a show that they might perform several times over again. That's how we developed these performances, and that's when I started to really see the value of improv. Some actors are terrified of it because actors, we get a script, we get blocking, we get notes. Like it's like. Somebody else is telling us exactly what to do, and we do it. So as an actor before that, improv was a little scary, but then I started to yeah. realize the value of it. Huh. Really cool. And after you finished your undergrad with your psychology and theater majors, where did you hop to next? So I was still kind of wanting to do the theater thing. So I went to... Uh, Northern California for a while and studied at American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco and auditioned and and then I was like oh maybe I could do like a use my psychology degree in some way um but I never did that <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of flounder you know I kind of like traveled around for a while I went to New York for a very short time, went to Chicago, went back to Denver, did some work at the um, Center Perform for Performing Arts there. And then when I was in Chicago, kind of had a, I don't know, quarter life crisis or something where I really wanted, I sort of wanted a change of lifestyle. I was like, I really still loved acting, but I didn't like the lifestyle of it anymore at all. Yeah. So I'm guessing, is this, 25, 26? I think so. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can go with it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, 26 maybe. And un until that point, or possibly even like in that moment, still thinking, gonna go more of the acting route as a career. So that's when I shifted a little bit and I decided that I was going to become a high school English teacher. Okay. Yes. That's very different. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I came, that's when I came to Madison and was sort of figuring out how to become a high school English teacher. And I started, I don't even know how, but then, yeah, eventually I start, I decided I didn't want to work with high school students. I wanted to study how adults learn. And so I got, I started my PhD program in education. In education. And you stuck with that for the entire PhD? Yep. Okay. All right. Um, I know I said we weren't going to talk about the research at all. I'm going to break my own role in the second episode. Can you talk a little bit more about your research? I'm, I'm really curious like what it is. And uh, I feel like it's just going to be, it's going to tie in directly to you doing all the improv that you do. Yeah. So there's like many different, I don't know, I'd say there's like three different areas of research that I'm currently active in with collaborations um, or projects that I'm kind of finishing up. But the thing that I'm really passionate about is looking at empathy in the clinical environment and what it's good for, <laughs> how it's used, and then how can we teach I mostly work with physicians, but other healthcare providers, how can we teach them to engage in empathic behaviors with patients and colleagues to see the benefits that I, that have been shown in several studies, but I would like to, you know, do more research into how, into how it actually benefits patients and providers. So I started, so my dissertation research was looking at this sort of a breaking bad news workshop and seeing how would would focusing on some tangible skill of delivering difficult news like you have cancer to a patient would that in some way change the empathy behaviors of these providers mm -hmm. um and it it moved the needle a little bit so it was really encouraging but what I saw as the flaw in that study was really this idea of scripting and spiels and mm. how in order to empathize with somebody, you really have to see that individual person and you have to react to what you're getting in the moment. And that's not necessarily what we were teaching or what I was seeing them learn. So that's what led me more into this idea of improv because that's all about that other person, whether it's an yeah. audience, you're giving a scientific talk or a patient, you only have each other. And so teaching them skills to work in that space, I thought would be more impactful and really change behavior in the way that I wanted to see it. And if you're thinking of like in a clinical setting, when there's not a lot of time, you have to listen. Um, and get away from that spiel. And I remember in the improv class, we read a chapter from Alan Alda's book that was all about listening. And I wrote down a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, I think he says, like, if I'm truly listening, I am open to any of your words completely changing the state that I am in, um, which is very true. And I, I, I don't think that happens a lot, especially when people are rushed with time. 
Yeah, it's so true. And it's it's scary and it's a vulnerable place to be. And I get that. Like if I if I listen that openly that I could be changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a little bit scary and vulnerable to so I, I get why people maybe don't dive into that right away, but it's so it could be so powerful and I could be changed for the better in so many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. I I I, you know, I catch myself, I think, often in trying just to get to the next thing and not just yep. being super present, um, trying my best. But I'm, I'm curious in when you've been teaching other people to be more empathetic and tie and listen to that, are there specific, maybe like physical characteristics that you've, ex- you've you told that might be helpful to kind of convey empathy more? And I also wonder... Um, in the, in the idea of like uh, fake it until you make it with kind of these like facial features or leaning in, um, is this something that is supposedly taught but also trains people by just acting things out? Yeah, I think you're onto something there. And it's there's this theory in education called embodied cognition. And it's really kind of you know, a lot, we also, we often think that the mind and our cognition is sort of the master and everything comes from that. But there's some evidence to suggest that it also our physical selves, like things can come from your body to your mind, right? And totally just thinking about your posture, are you open? Are you literally open to that person? And then that makes you figuratively more open to that person and what they're going to say. Or are you leaning back you know, arms crossed, legs crossed. And just, it's interesting, especially doing, like I do a lot of training with actors and um, physicians and just having them like open up. It just makes such a difference, not only for how they are listening to the patient, but how much the patient is then willing to tell them because they they seem receptive. Yeah. Wow, and what a, what a snowball effect that could have too, uh, for better yeah. quality. Yeah, dang, wow, that's really cool stuff. I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I broke my own rule. Um, and now with a non sequitur, going into the third uh, little goofy cue. Well, I tried something fun and failed. Rest in peace, little goofy cues. You lasted a total of less than thirty minutes. Uh, do you have a food? that you went through a phase with, i.e. you ate a ton of and then just completely stopped? You know, what I ate a ton of for a while was um, graham crackers with peanut butter on them. Nice. Yeah. I couldn't get enough. (laughs) (laughs) What phase of life is this? Like two years ago. Was it just like standard graham crackers, the cinnamon, sugar, chocolate? Just standard. Just standard. Standard graham crackers, sometimes with some honey on it too. But now that you mentioned the cinnamon, interesting. Yes. Well, have you ever had the cinnamon with frosting, like vanilla frosting on them? I don't think so. They come (laughs) prepackaged? No. Somebody I okay. knew once did that. <laughs> you just made me think of that, though. I mean, not good for you, but tasty. Tasty. Yeah. 
I mean, it's pandemic, and I feel like you could probably say that's a holiday food and kind of get, you know, a little pass for it. Yeah. It's like you're you like attempting... like a little red hot on it. Yeah, and especially if you, if you add the red hot, it's basically like you're building a gingerbread house, and then you just got a little sidetrack. Exactly. <laughs> you grew up building it in your stomach. Yeah, it is the season. Yeah, it's just, it is the season to do that. Um, okay, I'm glad we're having a little bit of fun because we're going to dive into more in-depth open-ended questions. Okay. Um, so in the past, when was the last time you were beating yourself up and what was it about? Like in the distant past or any time? Or uh, whatever comes to your mind right now. It might be food related. I said something. So I, I was rude to somebody like in the summer and I felt really bad. And I was beating myself up about, cause I was in a rush and it was a colleague and I was like, had to go over to their house and it, you know, I put my mask on and they were like, oh, you don't have to put your mask on. You know, we're fine. And I'm thinking like, this is not, what are you, come on. It's, it's nothing personal. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. And so I kind of said that and probably not the best tone. And then she asked, like, I had to pick something up. And so I was just trying to leave really quick. And she asked if I wanted to see something that was special to her. And I was like, no, I don't have time. Mm. And then I felt really bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we were talking about before to the time and listening. But it's it's so hard to do yes. every single time in your life. It's so um, hard. Yeah. And there's the limited amount of energy that you can have to be completely empathetic without it, like, weighing you down as well. It's all about that balance. Yeah. <laughs> Amy, aren't you glad you came on this show to, like, get some <laughs> free therapy? It's all about balance. Do Amy, like don't it. beat yourself up. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Glad I could help. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. Do you have a favorite failure? I'm sure that I do. <laughs> what is my favorite failure? I mean, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it, I did try and do this new exercise with my improv class on Zoom in the fall. And it just bombed. And I, I don't know if they got anything out of it at all. I was trying to do the like the status game where we have the cards, but in a real life thing, you, you don't know what your card says, but everybody else does. But since we didn't have that, I found this program online where they would know what their card was, but nobody else would. And uh. yeah, it just didn't it didn't really work at all. And like when, when somebody who was just so wonderfully honest, I was trying to start the activity and they just said, I'm sorry, but. I don't have any idea what you want us to do. <laughs> it's like, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I have also messed up with that game. So before doing grad school, I did two years of AmeriCorps. First year oh, yeah. working with kids down in Arkansas, taking them from the city and bringing them out to the camp, uh, doing a lot of team building activities. And I attempted to do the same activity. I gave all the kids their cards. Um, same thing, 
the highest like aces and kings and queens have the highest social status to is the lowest. And I told them to, you know, same thing that you're trying to do is interact the way based on the social rank with the intention to later debrief and see how it feels. Uh, what I forgot to tell them was like, you can't talk. So at the end, <laughs> kids are just cussing each other out um, of this activity. Um, it gets word to like the higher up admins um, and they call the kids in to the office to discuss it. The kids are really apologetic, but really they just called me into the office to have the kids express how sorry they were so I could feel bad about having the kids to do this because I botched the activity. Um, but yeah, I learned my lesson. So I, I will make sure next time that it will not happen. Yes. Well, thank you. I feel less alone in my failure now. Yeah, it's specifically about that game, too. <laughs> that game, it's hard. <laughs> it is hard. Um, all right. Okay, something in the present now. Uh, what piece of advice do you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Hmm. I think work with people that you really like. <laughs> I got that advice a little bit later on in my career. And sometimes you don't have a choice. But since then, I've been really careful and cultivating people who I really, even if the project doesn't interest me as much, if the people are really great and creative and collaborative, that makes all the difference. It makes such a huge difference. The people who are just going to say, go with your ideas. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like it's almost like absolute creative freedom that you get. Yeah, it's very much the the improv spirit too. So I'm, I'm currently working with a bunch of medical improvisers, people who use improv. And it's just so great to plan a meeting with improvisers because everybody says yes and. <laughs> is there a schedule? To, to right? There is, there is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and I, if I can remember correctly, I think you're also connected beyond UW uh, to like national organizations around improv, if, if I can, if that's true. Yes. So we are trying to establish, there's, there's one, there's the Implied Improvisation Network. That's an international organization. Um, but we're trying to establish specifically a medical improv organization because it's, mm. it's a little different. Um, so I'm working with people all across the country and we're putting together this new organization, which is really exciting. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, yeah, I'm excited that one that exists and also it's like actually going to happen. Yeah. Uh, what is a personality trait you really enjoy about yourself? What is a personality trait that you'd like to improve? I really like about myself. I think I am a generous person. I don't have a lot of money or physical things, but I feel like I am generous with spirit and time. Um, and I feel like I feel good when I'm giving that time and energy to other people. So I really enjoy generosity. I, I feel like I've benefited from that generosity. So I appreciate that. Okay. 
Uh, I'm glad. And I'm going to keep using it, but I'm going to make sure I don't take advantage of it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess okay. that is a danger. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. What's that personality trait you'd like to improve upon? So, I don't, it's like this flavor of like impatience, quick temperedness. <laughs> like, I can sometimes, I'm not the most patient person which is difficult in my teaching roles because it helps to be patient with learners. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I wish I was a little bit more patient and sometimes I do kind of snap at mostly people that I'm close to, you know, like my family. I just get like, and once in a while in a meeting, somebody will say something and I'll just be like, no. And I'll get kind of angry, isn't always helpful. Yes. Are they at least, would you say, like, they're creative ways of getting angry? I feel like you would come up with creative ways or creative insults. <laughs> I do. Not always. No. No. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes it's just like, I know you are, but what am I? Kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mark. He's still getting pushed down to this day in different it's forms. It's true. That little girl is still there. <laughs> that is great. Well, I mean, I told you I am still trying to turn over rocks and look at bugs. Uh, some of that stuff just never goes away. No. And yeah, I think that's a good thing. In the winter, though, are there many, do you find many bugs over under the... You know, I haven't had that great of luck but yeah. I also haven't really turned over that many rocks. There was a time over the summer I found this flattened worm uh, down by Capitol Springs Recreation Area, and it was just massive, flat. just flattened, like eight inches long. And I, wow. <laughs> I was on a date, and I had to okay. say, hold on. <laughs> I have to look at the squish worm real quick. Um, and luckily she understood, so that was great. Did you touch it? Did you pick it up? I did not touch it. Okay. I good. left it alone. <laughs> I will pick up some other stuff though. I'm not, I am that person who most of the times will like just scoot a bug into their hand to let it out on the house. Yeah. Um, but when I was in Arkansas, I did not do that because there were black widows and brown blue <gasps> spiders and we lived in old cabins. Uh, in, in fact, there were a few times I'd open the door and there were copperheads just like on the floor of the cabin. So I, I learned, I learned that. Yeah, oof, that is scary. That's one thing nice about, yeah, up here in the north, <laughs> we don't have exotic bugs or reptiles really. Yeah, I think we have timber rattlers, um, but I don't think around Madison. I, yeah. So a friend of mine has said he's seen them in Devil's Lake, but you know that's hearsay. We'll see. I, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. Did let's. I want to see the evidence of that. Yeah, yeah. Good scientist yeah. brains. <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> believe my friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, we are at our final activity, and I thought this would be really appropriate for us. So, as you know, <clears throat> a little bit for the audience, since. Uh, I took the improv class back in spring with Amy. 
we continued improv here and there over the summer into the winter time uh, and fall time when the pandemic was going on. And I have a game that I really love, which I'm terrible at, called the question game. And oh, so no. I thought we could play the question <laughs> game um, using also one of my favorite things, the random sentence generator that I really like. So nice. this game, uh, we are going to try to advance a scene only using questions. And by previous testing out, we can't say, did you know that blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so <laughs> with that in mind, I'm going to get a random question. Amy, do you have any questions for me? I think both you and I are familiar with this. Yeah, I it, it's very hard. It, I think we both struggle with this game, so. Okay, this could be terrible. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if it's uh, true to character. Okay, I have my random sentence generator. From random word generator .com sentence. Our random sentence is, let's all be unique together until we realize we are all the same. Oh, that's very nice. Okay, that's our sentence. Okay. Where'd you get that necklace? Um, <laughs> why do you want to know? Do you think it would look unique on me? Do you have a scarf to go with it? Do you think I should buy a scarf to go with it? Do you have enough money for a scarf? Does it look like I only make $10 a day? Do I look like the type of person that would judge you for that? Do you want to know the answer? Um, do you want to tell me the answer? Why do you always have to bring things back to me? Why don't you want to open up to me? How am I supposed to? When you're always pushing down Mark. <laughs> Why do you care so much about what I do with Mark? Isn't the thing like how you treat one person the way that you treat every person? <laughs> Don't you know that saying? Know that? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Think. All right. I have failed on that one. You've you've won that, and we can turn this into a game, too. Uh, out of out of three, Amy has one point, and I think Amy's going to keep getting these points. Um, I have found I was trying to think like in my head with these questions, and I think having the standard like question quest question words was helpful of like why, how, who, what, when. So brilliant! Where. It's so true. So yeah. true. And this is probably going to revolutionize, <laughs> maybe, uh, the way that we play this game. Okay, our next sentence is, there can never be too many cherries on an ice cream sundae. Ooh, can I get 27 cherries on my single scoop sundae? Where do you think you are, the sundae store? <laughs> What are you accusing me of now? How about you come over here and look at this missing cash from the register? <gasps> Who took all that money? 
Where were you at 5.30 p.m. tonight? Do you know the 7-Eleven on the corner of 1st and 27th? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. I will concede that. I was thinking when. And I was like, when When did I go to the 7-Eleven? Which I guess it could work, but that makes it no could, sense. It could work. I will concede. Uh, but I am... Although I've lost, I will say we have to do one more round. This is our next sentence. He poured rocks in the dungeon of his mind. Wow. That's deep. That's really deep. All right, here we go. Okay. Why you got so many rocks in your mind? Why do you want to know? When was the last time you gave yourself a feather in your mind? When was the last time you gave me a feather to put in my mind? <laughs> I'm just copying you. <laughs> Who hasn't tried to give you a feather? Do you remember when my mom gave me that one feather? Was it on Christmas 2013? <laughs> or was it Christmas 2020? Did you also get the tiger with the feather? Do you remember when the tiger ate that chipmunk? Was it a full-grown chipmunk or just a baby chipmunk? Do you know the difference? Like, when is a full-grown? When does a baby turn into a full-grown chipmunk? What age? When does it not become a chipmunk? <laughs> Adult. Why do chipmunks have to die? Why does anyone have to die? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one point. You got one lost. point. Yes, I got one point. And on, on the note of uh, all of us dying, Amy, yes. it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Um it's been a blast to get to know you more. And I was thinking about this too. Um, I think, you know, the point of this is to learn a lot about the the whole story in person of a scientist. And I feel like just to actually by knowing you through improv, I've been able to do that. And I really didn't know much about your research, but I've learned so much about your research, got to learn more about you. It's been a lot of fun. It was such a pleasure, Ben. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. Talk soon. <laughs> yes. I hope you get to the feather. I do too, and I hope you figure out why we all have to die. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Working in aging, I'll keep, yeah, I'll keep you posted. See, it's perfect. Thanks for listening to Deeper Than Data. I hope you enjoyed getting some acting tips and a few laughs here and there. Now, I need to go and figure out why we die. Until then, be well. Deeper Than Data was produced and created by me, Ben Rush. Music by me, Ben Rush. Bad jokes and poorly phrased little goofy cues also by me ben rush boy boy